Hi, and welcome back to the Institute of Performance Nutrition's We Do Science podcast. And this is episode 139. I'm so close to 140, I can't believe it. And um, today, my guest is Dr. Richard Simpson, or Ricky. We're going we're gonna to be uh, very in, in, informal here. Um, Ricky, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Ron. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So, um, look, firstly, happy VE Day. Um, you know, there's a lot of international people on uh, that listen to this. So they probably don't even know what we're talking about. But for those of us that um, uh, are in the UK, in particular, or Europe, VE Day is a you know is a big a big deal, um, a reflection of uh, uh, you know us all getting over a major conflict 75 years ago. But we find ourselves dealing with a completely different type of of conflict nowadays, which is. Um, not directly related to the conversation I want to have with you today, but it's not it's not unrelated either, um, because we're going to talk about a number of things that um, I will reveal in a minute. But I want to give you a chance to just give us a bit of background as to who you are and what you're up to. I know the accent might be a little bit of, um, <laughs> a bit confusing because uh, um, you're not actually based in the UK, are you? No, I'm not. I'm not. So I'm, I'm, I'm from Glasgow and, um, and I went to university in Edinburgh. So I did my, I did my undergraduate degree in sport and exercise science at um, Edinburgh Napier University. And, um, and then I stayed on there to do my PhD in exercise immunology. Um, you know, so during my PhD studies, I was really interested in how exercise affects the immune system. And I was particularly interested in athletes at, at that time. Um, and then I guess they must have liked me at Napier, they kept me on for a postdoc and I got a lecturing position. So uh, I continued to do that type of research. Um, I did start to move into aging. I was interested in a concept called immunosenescence, you know, when the, when the immune system starts to weaken as we, as we get older. Um, and then from there, I just felt like I needed, I needed a, fresh, a fresh start. I needed a change and an opportunity came up to, to move to the United States. So I, I took that and um, yeah, I spent nine years at the University of Houston in Texas, and I've been at the University of Arizona here in Tucson for the last uh, two and a half years. But, uh, but my research theme has, has always been the same. I'm always interested in exercise and the immune system. Um, but I have been dabbling into many different areas. You know, aging is one, athlete health was one, um, space travel is another, cancer is something I'm interested in. So, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, I, you know... I, I love all, I love all this stuff. Obviously that's why I do this podcast and, you know, I do this for a living and so on and so forth. But, and I've mentioned this many times, you know, the, the, the you know, I'm a primarily a, a, a nutritionist, a performance nutritionist, you know, sport and exercise is my focus, um, primarily professional athletes, that sort of thing. And, um, but the irony is that, that, that my main priority isn't about their performance. It's about their health. That's, that's our role. That's our first thing that we do as a performance nutritionist is keep our athletes healthy. And if the situation occurs that they get sick or injured, then we do our best to help, you know, get them to, uh, 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 you know, improve the situation for them, return to play. And what's great in the last sort of five, 10 years or so is there's been an explosion of, of research um, that, adds to our toolboxes as practitioners the the knowledge and the and literally the 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 tools with which we can you know play a role in that in that regard and athletes are 
you know, they come in very, in many shapes and sizes. Of course, they do lots of different things. And we, you know, defining what an athlete is, is a bit complicated as is, you know, what actually is an elite athlete and so on, but they're all human beings and they are all potentially susceptible to illness and injury one way or the other, you know, so obviously they've got more in common than, than not. Um, and I guess if we position this, this topic of, you know, um, immunity and health in people who are active, very active athletes, and we also position that in the current pandemic, this COVID pandemic, you know, it, this becomes very interesting. And, and um, I've had a, a lot of your colleagues, so to speak, in your field, um, um, most recently, Professor Neil Walsh. Uh, we've done, you know, um, talked a lot about, uh, well, I've had, he's been interviewed quite a few times. He's also lectured for us at our institute before and, um, you know, love, love his whole approach. And we're, we're going to get back into that because I know he's co-authored um, this paper we're going to talk about with you. Um, but also others like Mike Gleason and, and, um, and so on. I, 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 there's loads of people I haven't mentioned here. Um, but it's this concept that athletes do live in the real world. Um, and this pandemic, I guess, really brings that home because they're not just necessarily dealing with, um, you know, whether or not exercise can have a negative impact on the immune system, which is a particular focus I want to get into um, by increasing susceptibility and infection, you know, and, and um, that, that's going to go down a certain path. But, you know, as Neil Walsh would talk about, there are sort of bigger picture issues as well. Um, which, of course, as a nutritionist, we tend to get into things like, obviously, the diet, energy availability, the quality of the diet. And we nick a few things that aren't really diet-related, um, um, like sleep, for example. You know, these are things that we, that we get into. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting in, into that from different angles with you. So maybe, um, you know, since I've already mentioned that, the paper that I'd read that drew me to want to have this conversation with you was this, this, this paper um, between you and your colleagues on can exercise affect immune function to increase susceptibility to infection, which of course Neil Walsh is one of your co-authors there. And, and what I really liked about this, and this is something I want to get into, is the fact that, that there isn't necessarily um, a consensus on this topic. Um, and these, these are the sorts of things that come up a lot in these podcasts. Um, you know, we think we, we think we know about something. Um, and then we realize, hang on, no, there's just a perspective at this current time. And actually, you've got some really intelligent, very accomplished researchers um, who have differences of opinion. And that's what I loved about this paper is because you guys have managed to put this together in one paper is, is this, you know, different points of view. And the reason why I'm talking about this, Ricky, is because um, in my 139 podcasts so far, or whatever it is, one, one prevailing theme is I'm always talking about context. You know, it depends. Um, and, you know, how much do we actually know? You know, what is the strength of the evidence? And how relevant is that to practice? So anyway, let's come back to you. Um, you know, what drew you to exercise immunology and then you know, how, how did you get to this point of, of coming up with this paper? Well, you know, so when I, when I was doing my PhD studies, it was, it was centered around um, how exercise affects the immune system as it applies to athletes. And of course, the, um, 
you know, the, the, the common view at that time is that athletes were more susceptible to, to illness than the general population. And there was a period of time after very arduous events, like marathon run, for example, where athletes were more susceptible to, to, to becoming ill. Um, and then groups in, 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 in Europe, you know, particularly in Copenhagen, there were some groups in Australia, they were really interested in this repeated bout effect. So when you do a, a bout of arduous exercise, then the idea was that there's a very brief enhancement of the immune response but then there's a, a very immediate suppression of the immune response during the early stages of, of exercise recovery um, and one of the concerns that was pitched at that time is if athletes are doing multiple bouts on consecutive days or even sometimes two two bouts in a single day if the immune system is not fully recovered and then you're ask, asking them to exercise again then essentially it can spiral downwards um, and this really formed the basis of what was known as the open window hypothesis, which, which I believe was first published in 1994. So it's, it's been around a long time. Um, and even when I was doing my PhD studies, this was something I was interested in. Um, you know, one of the projects I did, I had, I had very fit fell runners run up and down Arthur's seat for two and a half hours every single day for four consecutive days because I was trying to see what would happen when they were exercising at these, at these extreme levels. Um, you know, but as I as I moved on in my career, I sort of moved away from from athlete health, and I was interested in you know, as I mentioned earlier, I was interested in aging. I've been very interested in how the immune system responds to space travel and, and astronauts. But um, but I I was I was struck by a, a review paper that was published by uh, John Campbell and James Turner at, at the University of Bath, and and John Campbell I actually know very well. He was he was one of my undergraduate students at, at Napier University in Edinburgh. And he's since gone on to do some 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 excellent stuff and, and published some really, really outstanding work, as has James Turner. Um, and they published a review article in Frontiers in Immunology, which I thought was rather provocative, you know, because they are two very relatively junior investigators and they've really taken on the field of, of exercise immunology and challenged some of these paradigms that have been in the literature for 25 years. Um, and then they've called into question you know the the interpretation of the data that was that was collected in the past that formed these frameworks um so i thought it was pretty bold of them and uh, and i thought it was a very very well put together article i think it's it's already been cited maybe 120 130 times and it was only published two years wow. ago so it's mm -hmm. it's definitely made a big splash in the literature um but Knowing the other people in the exercise immunology field like I do, I knew this would have ruffled a few feathers, and which I think is great for science. It's always good to to, to challenge to challenge paradigms. I needed some excitement. Um, <laughs> it, it, yeah, exactly, exactly. And you know, and then because I'm on the editorial board of of exercise immunology reviews, I I brought it up to the the editorial board and I said, you know, this is this is clearly a provocative article. It's getting a lot of citations, and there's been silence from other exercise immunologists who I know believe that arduous exercise can be immunosuppressive and can, can increase the risk of infection. So I, I posed the idea of saying, hey, you know, I know, I know people from both camps. Maybe I can try and, uh, you know, get them together to try and write a debate type article and roll it all into a single piece so that it will be uh, more informative to the exercise immunology community. So that's so everyone agreed, which was good, and um, and I managed to get everyone to play ball, and, and of course we uh, we got the paper done and published, and, and I think it's a good product. That in itself <laughs> is an achievement. <laughs> uh, yeah. I've got involved in a number of collaborative uh, publishing projects, and yeah, you've done well there, um, particularly when there's opposing views. 
you know, you know, just to remind everyone why I like doing this stuff. And that's because, you know, yeah, there's, there's, there's all sorts of stuff that gets published, you know, um, depending on the means of publishing, social media, not so good. Um, but, you know, there's a certain process that gets it to this point of getting into journals. And again, there's a, a variety of um, states of quality, as we shall say, that exist there. Unfortunately, um, you know, it's still not all amazing. But, it, you know, on the whole, it's going to be of a, of a reasonable standard for the most part. Um, but what tends to happen is, is it, it, you know, like science generally can be very reductionist. You know, the, you get this perspective, um, it gets published. And unless someone's aware that there's another perspective, um, they just take it, you know, as that. And I know, I mean, I came to my own, you know, where I am now, much later in my career, I was a personal trainer for, for years, didn't have, you know, uh, any degrees or anything. And, and of course, when you do your, you know, your personal trainer certifications, it's quite simple, you know, and you think, oh, that's it, you know, this is it. And then, then, you know, you, you, you go, do you know what, I need to work on my education, which I did, and then do a degree. And then you go, ah, it's more complicated. And then, then you go into postgraduate education and then you go, hang on, that's not the same thing that I learned in my undergraduate degree. And then uh, it's a lot more complicated. Oh, I know so much more about this. And actually, I've now done a bit of research myself. And then you go do your doctorate and go, right, everything I've just, I've learned this past X number of years, all wrong. <laughs> I know nothing. <laughs> I know absolutely nothing now. And that's an interesting part of this. And that's why I think this approach is very refreshing. And I, I hope to see more of that. Um, because as practitioners, we haven't got, you know, time to read every paper known to man. And it's very difficult to, you know, to be able to have, you know, the ability to look, you know, um, that deep into a topic if it's not your specific area of, of expertise. I, you know, as I was saying offline just now, as a practitioner, I have to sort of know a little bit about lots of things. <laughs> it's very difficult. Exercise immunology is just one of the multitude of things that, you know, we, we could get into. Um, hence 139 podcasts and I'm nowhere near done. So <laughs> let's, let's just quickly delve back into some underpinning stuff here because we're talking about a body of knowledge which i mean you you said 1994 i think was you know is what you were referring back to i mean that's not really that long ago really um when we think about the body of knowledge relative to you know physiology or biology or you know, many of the medical areas, um, you know, they've been around for much longer, uh, vast amounts of, of research. Obviously, when we start talking about sports science and particularly sports nutrition, for example, which is not specifically our angle here, you know, they're much, much younger. Um, but again, we can get drawn into this assumption that, that there's a, you know, that, that there is an absolute state of knowledge on a certain topic. Um, and of course, it's something that in reality is very fluid. It evolves considerably. Um, and also, you know, what I was talking about earlier in our conversation before we started recording, and I talk about a lot on this podcast is, you know, that, that, that there's, there's all this evidence, but how much of it's actually relevant to practice. And that's um, something I want to uh, tease out with you here. But before we do that, um, assume, you know, we can't assume that everyone has a thorough understanding of exercise immunology um, to benefit from the next part of our conversation. So perhaps you could just give us a quick sort of 
well, I guess I, I guess it's ironic for me to ask you to give us a quick 101 of the general <laughs> sort of where we're at with with you know exercise and its impact on the immune system. And I guess there's two angles here. The first one is um, exercise can have health promoting benefits, um, and then that'll lead us into well, what about too much exercise, which would be the the main bulk of our, our chat here so maybe give us just give us a quick sort of you know foundation there yeah okay so um so when the the open window hypothesis came out just slightly before that there was um the there was another theoretical framework that was that was used to explain the relationship between exercise volume and infection risk and that was the j curve that that most people are familiar with when they study um exercise immunology so the, so the j curve was devised by david Neiman. Um, you know, who's been one of the you know main exercise immunology researchers for the last three decades. You know, he's very, very well known. Um, and the idea is, is that if you are sedentary, then you have a, a moderate chance of contracting an upper respiratory infection. Um, but if you engage in regular moderate exercise, so this would be consistent with the physical activity guidelines that we're all asked to adhere to, then your risk of contracting an infection is actually reduced. Um, but if you're a top-level athlete and you're engaging in very high-volume exercise training, then your your risk of contracting an upper respiratory infection is actually greater than than what it would be if you were a couch potato, you know. And that and that that framework has has been around for a long time. And, and to be fair, there's a lot of research that that, that, that supports it. Um, now, with this particular debate article, the the idea that moderate exercise is beneficial for the immune system was not really in question you know i think both camps really agreed agreed with this um and there's been many many different studies and many different models that have shown that that, that this is the case um you know we know that exercise can prevent certain cancers exercise can improve immune responses to to vaccination um exercise can protect uh, mice from death due to due to certain pathogens that they're experimentally infected with so I think that that literature is 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 quite robust, um, you know. And and what I would say is one one of the main hot topics now with exercise immunology is actually uh, exercise oncology, you know, and how the manipulation of the immune system with exercise can be used to to benefit cancer patients. Uh, and there's a, a lot of research being done in that area uh, at the moment, and it's really demonstrating that hey, you know, exercise really does work. It really can improve your immune system. It can benefit people with with chronic disease yeah this concept that exercise is medicine is, fan is is absolutely fascinating isn't it and um i guess you know with the current pandemic being what it is you know there's a great deal of interest in physical activity you know and exercise um and you know even athletes a lot of them are you know affected by this pandemic in that they're not actually able to do as much exercise as they would um, but generally, like you say, you know, the, the benefits of exercise, uh, you know, physiologically um, seem to be pretty well, uh, you know, understood and there's no real major concerns there. And of course, it's more than just physiological. There's a huge psychological impact. I know for me, I'm nowhere near an athlete. And for me, going for a run isn't just about, you know, helping compensate for the uh, bottle of beer or wine or whatever I'm going to have. At the end of the day, uh, it really, you know, it just does something, you know, to get out there and go for a run or go lift something or, or whatever. Um, but of course, like, like so many 
you know, so many things that human beings tend to get into, there is a, a, a question of overconsumption, um, overdoing stuff, um, taking, you know, on too many, you know, projects. And, you know, that's where we start getting into issues like stress. And um, Neil Walsh, you know, schooled us on this with this, you know, gave us a masterclass about the whole, you know, the life stress, you know, we've got to stop being, you know, reductionistic about, you know, just looking at one thing, we've got to look at the combination of factors and, you know, Absolutely. maybe, uh, maybe, maybe uh, particularly now with, you know, with the stress and the psychological impact of this, this uh, thing that's going on is, is something that's of interest. But I guess very few people are thinking about the consequences of doing too much exercise. I mean, like, really? <laughs> is there such <laughs> such thing? And of course, you know, there's, there's a lot of professional athletes who have, um, moderate training you know football players i doubt i don't think um we could ever as in uh, soccer players i don't think we we would accuse as being people who have enormous training volumes say compared to say triathletes even i'm in triathletes i have particular interest in ultra endurance um and also arduous training like in military context for example where it's just unbelievable stuff that people you know multiple day events uh, campaigns and so on um all sorts of stuff uh, can 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 affect them, and um, you know I, we'll delve a bit into that with you, Ricky. But just so that we stay on point with this, and we maybe stick with with the paper in a second. But just before we do, um, I know you've written another article which was about exercise immunity and and the COVID, you know, pandemic. I mean, since I've got you here, it would be good mm -hmm. to just quickly have your perspective because even. Even though we're, you know, sports scientists, sports nutritionists, S&C coaches, whoever's listening, this may be of interest to ourselves personally, our families and, and so on. It'd be great to have the expert's opinion. You know, what, what, what are your perspectives on that? Yeah, so, the, so, it, so it's interesting. I mean, there's, there's several layers to what you said there. I can try and unravel a little bit. But, um, <laughs> You'll do well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, the, you know, so as an, as, as an exercise immunologist, I might get contacted occasionally from, you know, from a media outlet or, or someone wants to do a podcast. But, but over the last six weeks, I've had, you know, probably five or six per week, you know, easily um, because exercise immunity is, is, is obviously very important at the moment because of this, this pandemic that's, that's going on. Um, you know, and you mentioned that you like to try and get the information from this podcast to the practitioners. So try and make this as, as applied as possible. Um, and interestingly, I, I was contacted by a, by a lady who is a practitioner and, you know, and she sees many different patients and she delivers exercise training interventions to these patients. Um, and she was referring to a blog article I wrote for American College of Sports Medicine. And she said, why are there no guidelines on exercise and infection risk in the Exercises Medicine Initiative? And I thought, really, there isn't. And of course, I looked through, and of course, there there wasn't. So I so I reached out, and you know, I got in touch with folks I know as they're involved with Exercises Medicine. I said, why why are there no guidelines about you know infection? I said, you know, because there is a lot of literature supporting the effects of exercise on improving vaccine responses, for example, and. Um, and of course, they said, it's, it's a good point. Would you be willing to help us with this? So I said, of course, I just gave myself a job to do. Um, but I think it's really important that we're, that we're getting this information across, um, you know, so that people know that exercise is beneficial for the immune system in certain contexts. And it, and it could 
potentially prevent us from uh, becoming infected or at the very least uh, hastening the recovery from an infection should we, should we acquire one. Um, but the COVID-19 pandemic is interesting because not only are we exposed to this threat of a, of a virus, but we also have that added stress involved. And, and Neil Walsh has done a great job at just explaining, you know, what we need to not just focus on the exercise component here. We need to take a broader look and see what's going on in that individual's life. Um, and with the COVID-19 pandemic, there are people who are in isolation and confinement, which itself is very, very stressful. You know, we're actually doing studies um, on that as it relates to space travel and, you know, when astronauts are in isolation and confinement for long periods of time. Um, and then there's a lot of additional life stresses that people are facing at the moment. Um, I mean, I was furloughed, for example. I've, I, I'm taking a 15% pay cut for the next year and, and people all over the world are in a much worse position than I am. You know, so that financial stress is going to, is going to have an impact on, on their health. And we know that that type of chronic stress is detrimental to the immune system. So if you're stressed and that's having a negative effect on your immune system, you're potentially going to be exposed to a, you know, a virus that's causing worldwide turmoil at the moment. Um, then we need to do everything we can to try and, first of all, mitigate the effects of stress on the immune system and then potentially just boost our immune system. Um, so that A, we might not suffer serious consequences to, to, to an infection and then we reduce our risk of actually infecting, infecting others. So, um, so we advocated in that paper that we should really be promoting physical activity during, during this time, even if it's just to mitigate the effects of stress on the immune system. But we also know that just by being physically active, you know, the immune system responds to that. The cells of the immune system get mobilized, they traffic around the body. So if you do encounter, you know, SARS-CoV-2 or, or even anything else, then your immune system is potentially more equipped to, to deal with that and help resolve that infection. Um, so yeah, we strongly encourage um, staying active during during this particular pandemic, which can be tricky because people are in lockdown. It's not like everyone has a treadmill in their garage, or um, people are having difficulties accessing parks. You know, it, it can be it can be challenging, but we should be doing everything we can to promote activity during this time. Absolutely, yeah, and, uh, and thank you for that. And um, I mean, on the you know on that people are being active one way or the other. And of course we'll bring this into the context of, of athletes primarily. Um, and of course that ranges from people who train maybe, you know, hour or so a day, number of times a week to people who train almost all day long. Um, so there's quite a, a mixture there. Um, but also I was thinking, you know, one of the issues is with those people and I'm thinking like ultra endurance athletes or, athletes that it's not just about fitness training it's like you know skills training and development like gymnasts and whatnot you know the, the the fact that they're not able to do that is in itself highly stressful isn't it you think you're supposed to be at the olympics this year that's not going to happen you 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 spent the last you know three and a half years or whatever getting ready to peak in a matter of weeks um must be quite phenomenal and what is good about exercise though is that you can be quite creative uh, one way or the other, you know, even it may not be fit for purpose for your specific event, but you know, from a health perspective, I guess, at least the good news is, is even if you can't get out of your apartment, you've been locked in, so to speak, you can still do certain kinds, certain kinds of activities. But what what's probably not likely to happen for most people. Um, and by that, I mean, just normal recreationally active people is they're unlikely to do too much exercise. 
Um, but that is the very topic that I want to get into here because this is this is this is the hot debate that you guys have written about. So maybe maybe what you could do is is sort of give us an idea about what we mean by you know um, an excessive amount of exercise, what types of exercise, its impact on the immune system um, and susceptibility to infection, and of course the fact that we have these different points of view that of course you told us right at the beginning. Yes, I think, I mean, I think that's a great point, Lauren, is um, I think we've done a, you know, so in exercise immunology, we'll talk about arduous exercise or heavy exercise or high volume training, but that's really poorly defined, you know, and, and no one's really said, okay, this is what we really mean. And I think that came out a little bit in the, in the article because, um, you know, there, you know, because one of the groups were sort of saying, okay, these are things that happen with exercise that are beneficial to the immune system. And then, of course, the other camp said, well, you're talking about the types of exercise that would rec- we would recommend for the vast majority of the population. We're talking about the exercise that athletes do. Um, so by that, they just mean real arduous bouts of exercise. As you mentioned, is it, is it you know, well over an hour every single day? You know, is the exercise vigorous and in intensity for the most part? The types of exercise you would expect triathletes to do or, or even certain military personnel. So that's, that's what we talk about uh, when we mean arduous exercise. Um, but, you know, and, and, and you alluded to this when you were talking about some of Neil Walsh's work, but I think, I think for years we've looked at athletes as a population. We've said, okay, they, they seem to be susceptible to upper respiratory infections. It's actually the second leading cause of mistraining days behind only injury. So it's clearly a, a, an important issue. Um, so what is going on with their immune system and what is exercise doing to their immune system? Because you automatically think it must be the exercise. You know, they're athletes, the exercise, that must be what's, what, what's, what's contributing to the, the immune impairment. But, um, but this, is, this is one of the important things I think came out of that, that article is that we've probably been a little bit too exercise-centric because there are so many other things that these athletes are, are exposed to. You know, so long-haul travel being one, circadian misalignment, stress, nutritional alterations, um, just being in large groups that are exposed to, to, to more, more pathogens. There's the stress, which which should not be, um, you know, which should not be un, un, undervalued. I think that's probably going to have a major impact. You know, you mentioned the fact that athletes have devoted their entire lives preparing for Olympics, and then all of a sudden it's it's, it's been cancelled. You know, that that must be, a, you know, absolutely gutting for them. Um, so I I I, I think where it will help the field move forward in terms of understanding infection risk in athletes is, yeah, we do have to look at the bigger picture. We do have to take into consideration all of, all of these things. Um, and yeah, we can do ecologically valid studies where we look at athletes in competition, but then of course it becomes harder to control all the extraneous variables, but even trying to control these things in a lab is not, is not easy to do. But I, but I, I, I do get the feeling that more and more researchers will try and do that and they will try and, isolate the individual components that could potentially be causing dysregulations to the immune system and making making athletes more susceptible to infection um and i was really glad when when neil proposed that in some of the the papers he published a few years ago because we actually do the same thing with with astronauts you know we see that astronauts have uh, dysregulated immunity during space travel and we see evidence of systemic immune impairment because they have viruses that they're already infected with and then these viruses reactivate. And that's a, you know, a, a good sign that your immune system has been weakened at some level. Um, 
but yeah, okay, well, what is it about astronauts that's, that's, that's causing this? So yeah, they're in space, so there's no gravity, but they're also exposed to higher levels of radiation. Their circadian function is, is, is completely misaligned. I mean, they see sunset and sunrise 17 times in one day. Uh, you know, they're, they're eating freeze-dried food. You know, all, all of these things that could potentially impact the, the immune system. Um, and it's really important to figure out what it is that's, that's causing the problem. Because if you don't know what's causing the problem, then it's more difficult to develop interventions. Because as practitioners, that's what you want to do. You want to say, okay, well, how can we come up with a countermeasure that's going to mitigate the effects of exercise or whatever other factor is contributing to dysregulated immunity and making this athlete more susceptible to illness? Okay, you need to know what's causing it so that you can intervene. Yeah, I mean, it's so fascinating because, you know, depending on what level you get into this, you know, I, a lot of sports science, exercise science, and very much historically so, has been very muscle centric. You know, you lift something and something happens to the muscle and then, okay, yes, us nutritionists, you know, we start talking about, oh, you know, let, let, let's, let, let's, talk, let, let's get really sexy and talk about leucine thresholds and, you know, and, and stuff like that. Um, but of course, you know, the human body is a, an integrated system and the immune system is dealing with lots of things. And of course, the, you know, I guess when we talk about the immune system, we can't help but think about our oh, health, uh, colds, flus, that sort of thing. But of course, the immune system is, is you know, intimately involved in the exercise stress response that results in the adaptations we're trying to get in the first place. So it gets pretty complicated, doesn't it? Absolutely. Can you just sort of, I mean, it's a, it's a, a podcast or a, a, a whole hour's lecture or, well, as you know, it's years of lecturing probably, but, but just quickly take us back there. Like, you know, there's this intersection between exercise um, you know, the, the various factors, the stress, you know, the training volume, training load and so on. But the immune system's right there uh, responding to this situation. And yet, and yet we're talking about that and adaptations to exercise, but also it's also dealing with, with you know, health and, and so on. What, what, you know, how, how varied are all these different aspects of the immune system? Yeah, but there's, I mean, the, the immune, you, you, hit, you hit the nail on the head, Deloron, is the immune system is involved in absolutely everything. It interacts with every single physiological system. And I think with, with exercise immunology and, and focusing on athletes or, or whomever, we've always been thinking about the immune system as protecting us from infection or, um, or being involved in disease progression of some sort. But it definitely has a, a much larger role to play with, with athletes in particular. So... So there's been studies now about how the immune system and certain cytokines that are released from muscle can, can stimulate gluconeogenesis. And of course, that can, that can contribute to, to energy availability in, in athletes. But there are also certain cytokines that are released by cells of the immune system when, when someone is inflamed. And then some of these cytokines can actually impair collagen synthesis. And if, you imp if collagen synthesis is impaired, then athletes may be more susceptible to muscle pulls and, you know, and, and tears and things like that. So, so how the immune system is affected can have you know, impacts that go beyond just, just, just infection. Um, I, I don't know if I've answered, uh, answered yeah, your yeah, question yeah, properly yeah, there, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah. but, but it's, I think it's important for us to really uh, look at the, the, the cross-cutting aspects of, of how the immune system is involved with, with everything else that, that could potentially affect um, an athlete's health. Absolutely. And, you know, I mentioned the word, there's an integrative component here. In fact, I did a whole 
podcast with Professor John Hawley, you know, all about it's important that we look at, you know, bio, you know bio, bio, biological systems, physiology, and so on from the perspective of that it's an integrated system. It, it all combines like an orchestra, um, hopefully to, you know, have this, 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 you know, sweet sound of music that ends up being, you know, the ultimate performance. But of course there's, there's so much there like an orchestra, you know, and, and um, uh, I can get carried away with my analogies potentially on this, but, <laughs> but, but it is, it's not a static thing is what I'm saying. You know, it's not this black and white thing. And that's, that's what we get from textbooks a lot. It's, you know, it doesn't jump out of you from that page um, that it can be this dynamic thing. And that's why I like this whole, you know, the, the sort of exercise um, and other aspects within, you know, life, that, that sort of stress continuum. Um, maybe you could, you could take us, f- you know, through that process. I know, you know, yeah, people can listen to Neil Walsh's podcast, but there's a reason why I'm asking this because it's going to lead into something. So. All right. So you, so you want me to just talk about the, the yeah. stress continuum or just the, yeah. or, stress, or, or well, the, the, the sort of workload stress continuum, but also from a bigger, you know, the integrative perspective as well. Why, you yeah, know, why that's important. So I think the, I mean, the, the integrated uh, perspective is important and, um, you know, and that was one of the, one of the issues that was raised during the debate article is when we're trying to understand how exercise affects the immune system, we're really just taking a snapshot of what's, what's going on, you know, so more often than not, that's just, let's just take a blood sample from, from an athlete after, after exercise. And then we get an idea of what the immune system looks like in the blood at that particular time. So, so when you think about it, it's pretty limited. Um, and if you're looking at immune cells, um, you know, only one or 2% of all the immune cells in the body are in the blood at any, at any particular time. So you're really only getting a real small, small picture of what's going on. Um, and that was one of the, one of the arguments in the paper about how some of the, the older data had been used to determine how exercise affect the immune system and the interpretations that, that, that were made from that is because when you exercise, immune cells traffic in and out the blood instantaneously, you know, so when you start exercising, all these immune cells flood the blood compartment. But as soon as you stop exercising, these immune cells leave the blood and then start trafficking to, to, to the tissues where presumably you would want them to be. You know, they might traffic to the lung because, you know, you're potentially being exposed to more airborne pathogens. So you would want your immune cells there to try and, to try and combat that. But, um, but in the, you know, the mid-90s and going up into the early 2000s, because there were less immune cells in the blood during the recovery phase of exercise, some people were interpreting that as an immunocompromisation. So the idea is, is there's less immune cells in the blood, this must be bad. But, um, but I think the, the, the more common interpretation or the more modern interpretation of that is actually these cells are moving from the blood to other areas of the body where you would actually want them to be. So actually having that drop in the blood lymphocyte count may actually be, be a good thing. So, uh, so I think it's really important that we take a, a whole body view of, of what potentially is going on with, with exercise in the immune system and not just getting drawn into that one snapshot measurement you have uh in, in 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 a single tissue agree and you you it's funny you should mention sort of the whole body because also you know that makes me think of not just the whole body as in the athlete's body but also the body of knowledge and what's interesting there is that that body of knowledge let's say it goes back to 1994 let's just say it's that that there's a big difference between what we knew and what we thought 
then mm-hmm. and then throughout the 90s and then the noughties and all that stuff you know like what, what because that informs what we know that's informed a lot of decision making up until where we're at now but also you know when people are doing their research they're taking information from the past and adding that to their consensus their position as to where we're at on something um um how do you feel how do you feel about that as it relates to trying to decipher what we knew what we're learning and you know how we should come to some sort of position on that yeah, so we um so so the last time the International Society of Exercise and Immunology released a position statement on on immune function and exercise, it was back in two thousand and eleven, uh, and and Neil Walsh actually coordinated that, and he was the the lead author on two key papers that that, that came out. Um, you know, one was just more immune function, and the other paper was uh, I, I believe it was more centered around the nutritional aspects because so many exercise immunologists like to look at the impact of uh, of nutrition. But um, but even even back then, you know, the the open window hypothesis was still very much front center, and you could tell it sort of shaped the field for 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 a long time. And and the work that was done in those days was great, you know, especially for the, for that time when there was very very little known about the immune system. This is this is what everyone based their their current studies on. Okay, this is the knowledge base. This is what we know and understand. I'm going to add to this, and I'm going to use these theoretical frameworks and these paradigms as a way of setting up the, the scientific premise of my own research. I, I did this during, during my PhD. Um, but sometimes we do have to look back and say, well, okay, as we're, as we're now collecting more data and maybe it's not following what we expected, then do we have to look back and say, okay, well, how were things interpreted then based on what the state of knowledge was, based on the analytical techniques that we had then? And do we have to revisit that and then ask new questions and potentially go off on a, you know, on a different direction to try and to try and explain what's what's going on. Um, so I think there has been an acceptance of certain things in in our field. Um, our field is also moving into different disease states, so we're now starting to to, to get really more mechanistic and and really start to uh, illustrate how exercise can can be beneficial for for many patient populations. But I do I do feel this this idea of how exercise affects the immune system for athletes. Okay, we're back. We're back. Just had a real dodgy connection there. So, um, um, sorry, Ricky. We'll have to try and stitch this to what we were just saying. Do you uh, do you think you can carry on with this? Yeah, I think I think so, Lauren. Um, yes, I was I was uh, talking about the research that had been done in the past, and um, you know, explaining how the field had had moved on. But um, but yeah, I think we're we're in a position there where we might have to to go back to. To some of the some of the work that we that we did with athletes in the past, and really trying to figure out what is what is what is going on that could potentially be making them more susceptible to to infection. So, so is it the exercise volume, or is it some other aspect that, that that's unique to the athletic population that could potentially be dysregulating their immunity and making them more susceptible to infection? So, I think our field will really start to to embrace that and definitely look at the, uh, the, the, the bigger picture when it comes to understanding how, how athletes may or may not be more susceptible to, to illness. That's great. I, you know, it's one of these things, isn't it? Where I guess the more you get into this, um, the more you get into this, it tends to be a case of there being more questions than answers. I mean, always, that's always the scenario. So, you know, we've had all this knowledge from the nineties, 
And now we've got these two young punks uh, that uh, you played a major role in, in, in developing their uh, scientific punkness, so to speak. Uh, well, one of, one, well, one of them. One, one of them. them. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the fact that this has come up is obviously going to be a good thing because it's sparking new, new, new debate, new interest in this. Um, as I said earlier, that's a good thing. You know, it's always a good thing. Um, and as I said, you, you know, the fact that, that for a long time people have assumed that it is this one perspective um you know is not always a good thing and for us as practitioners it's very helpful to know that there are different scenarios it's a nuanced area potentially so let's get into that then so th there are you know there's this question that was answered um uh, question that was asked which is can exercise affect the immune function to increase susceptibility to infection and there's two camps Let's get into this then. So what, if, if, you, if you give us, I know you've already mentioned this to a certain extent, but you know, just so we can at least summarize what the, the, the general perspective until now has been, um, and then what the other camp are now saying, and then it'd be quite interesting to, you know, cause like you have in the paper, you've got, you've got a response and then you've got a rebuttal and you know, it's very interesting. So let's, 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 let's hear you tell us through that engagement that had occurred. Okay, yeah. So the, so yeah. So you, you mentioned the the question was, you know, can exercise affect immune function to increase susceptibility to infection? And 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 we used increase because we want. I don't think there's much doubt that exercise can protect the immune system and or, or or improve the immune system to protect against infection. But we wanted to address this question of whether or not it can increase susceptibility to infection. So by definition, we're we're talking about athletes and military personnel and, and, and people of that ilk. Um, so the YES camp was made up of um, uh, David Pine, um, who's at the Australian Institute of Sport, uh, you know, Marie Gleeson, who's also a, a well-established exercise immunologist out of Australia, and, uh, and then David Neiman, you know, who's, who's a renowned international expert in, in exercise immunology. So, so these three investigators have been around a long time. They were publishing research in the 90s when uh, you know, when exercise immunology was really emerging as a field. Um, and then the no camp was uh, John Campbell and uh, James Turner, who are, you know, relatively young investigators at the, at the University of Bath. Um, so what we did is, uh, is we wrote the introduction just to set the scene. And, and then we said, okay, well, it's, it's, it's pretty obvious from your research and the presentations I've seen you deliver that you feel the answer to this question would be yes, whereas you feel the answer to this question would be no. So, um, so write your respective narratives and uh, at the end of that we'll exchange and then you guys can, can write the rebuttal and so forth. And that's how the, how the article was, was formulated. Um, but the, the yes camp are, um, I mean, they're citing a lot of evidence uh, over, over the years that have, that have shown that, you know, well, first and foremost, athletes report symptoms of, of upper respiratory illness. They, they tend to report more of them during, during times of high volume training or, or around competition. They also refer to some animal studies that have been done where, uh, you know, animals have been exercised to, to exhaustion. They've maybe ch been challenged with, with certain pathogens. And of course, that would support that paradigm that, uh, you know, excessive exercise is, is compromising the immune system to such a level that it's making, it's making uh, life more difficult for the animal to, to, uh, to combat the, the experimental infection. 
Um, and then, of course, they cite evidence from certain biomarkers that, that, that change in, in athletes who are susceptible to, to illness and so forth. So they, they have a long history of research to, to tap into and really, and really use that to, to pitch their idea. Um, now, what the NOCAMP have, have really focused on is that there, in their mind, there's definitely alternative interpretations to, to the data that's being collected. So uh, one of the examples they give is that, well, although individuals may report more symptoms of upper respiratory infection after, say, running a marathon, they argue that that's a mass gathering event, you know. So it, we're in this era of social distancing now, so people understand that. But just by by definition, if you put a lot of people in co close proximity to each other, then they are more likely to to pick up, you know, common colds and, and and things like that. So they felt that that potential confounder had not been had not been adequately addressed. And then, of course, some of the things I touched on earlier, you know, the, the biomarker work, the immune functional assays that have been used to show change in the immune system after exercise are definitely suspect to, to alternative interpretations. You know, the example I gave earlier is that immune cells traffic in and out of the blood. So if we just take a blood sample at one particular time point and immune cell numbers go down or immune cell function goes down, that's just in the blood. But systemically, at the whole body level, the immune system could actually be enhanced. Um, so that was that was part of their argument. Um, and yeah, and then we, so what we think we did, you know, I think the even the guest camp acknowledged that some of the interpretations back in the 90s are, were maybe incorrect. You know, we maybe have to look at that uh, differently now. Um, but both camps agreed that we should be looking at systemic immunological indicators um, or instead of using self-report symptoms, can we, can we use laboratory confirmed infections as, as an endpoint to truly get at this, this question that, you know, to whether or not the athletes are indeed more susceptible to illness and they do in fact have uh, you know, a genuine infection and it's not just something else that's, that's, that's non-infectious but it's causing symptoms that are, that are similar to infection. Yeah, the, I mean, just to, you know, quickly remind just how major this issue is, I think you mentioned it earlier, that that being ill or being more susceptible to illness, the impact on the athlete is a, a significant factor, isn't it? And the reason why I'm mentioning this is because if we're making assumptions about what we think we know about this situation, it has, you know, the potential impact well the potential impact is massive and we could be acting off the wrong information which is why i find this so interesting um and as your paper makes it clear you know there's there's the there are these areas of disagreement that you've 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 helped helped us understand but also there's areas that they agree on and, and what what were, what were they so so the, the areas that the that they agree on is that you know um I think some of the immune measures that were that were that were made in some of these earlier studies might not represent what was interpreted at that time. Um, you know, so the the idea of lymphocyte numbers being reduced in the blood after exercise, and what, one of the common assays that was used in those days was to measure the function of natural killer cells. So there are a specialized subset of of lymphocytes. They're very important for killing cancer cells. So what researchers would do would they would take these natural killer cells out of the blood um, from athletes before, during, and after exercise, and then measure how well they killed cancer cells in, in a cell culture dish. And during the early stages of exercise recovery, that tended to go down. 
but of course the overall numbers of natural killer cells in the blood was more at that time as well because presumably they trafficked to, to other areas of the body. So, uh, so both camps agreed that, yeah, there are alternative interpretations of that work that was done in the 90s and, and even up to the early 2000s that we really have to, have to take into consideration. Um, but there were still a lot of things that they disagreed on. You know, and just just this this idea that that the athletes are more susceptible to infection than the than the general population. You know, so the yes camp obviously feel that that they are, uh, whereas the no camp um, they they didn't disagree with that per se, but they definitely questioned it, and and they weren't aware of any robust studies that had shown that. And and their argument is is that upper respiratory, you know, infections are, uh, you know, the most common reason why someone would go to their general practitioner you know so it's not it's not unique to sport it's it's just something that affects everyone so uh, so they made some good points there and i think we do need to do more detailed studies to address that question so whether it's due to exercise or not might not even be relevant you know the question is is our athletes more susceptible to to infections than than the general population i think that's a, a question that we really need to conclusively answer using um you know, using laboratory confirmed infections as a, as an endpoint. Yeah, and I I think that's a fair point. You know, and I've talked about various things that have the potential to affect, um, well, positively, obviously, training adaptations, so on, but also negatively, um, training adaptations and potentially health, like low energy availability, certain nutritional factors um you know we even we even in a recent podcast got into uh the microbiome and um there's a whole angle there you know because of the relationship that well the you know the sheer quantity of the immune system that's focused in the gut is you know not to be ignored um and if we look at it from that integrative perspective it's you know it's god it's complicated um, but you know, it's all very well scientists, um, you know, having their arguments um, in published journals or at conferences. But for those of us that are in the trenches, we're in this we're in this situation where, you know, we need to make some some decision making, which is what we have to do, obviously, as practitioners at the time. Often, without the um, the pleasure of having lab um, lab testing facilities and experts on that. So we need your help here, Ricky, to bring this down a bit from a science to practice perspective and to use that concept that, you know, is common um, for scientists and statistics and so on is there's sort of that confidence level. You know, what, what, what do you feel is the, the most robust angle from an applied perspective that we should be bearing in mind on this topic? So I think um, I think with when it comes to protect or trying to protect the immune system of athletes, I think there is a lot of common sense that could be that could be incorporated. And and with this COVID nineteen pandemic that's going on at the moment, people are more aware of that. You know, it's, it's if people are coughing and sneezing, you might want to keep your distance from them. You know, and um, and I think if athletes are uh, presenting with symptoms of an infection of some type, I mean that. I know what athletes are like. They just want to train through it and they don't want to miss a training session. They want to do that. But if they're in close proximity to others, then if they do have an active infection, then they could potentially infect some of their, some of their teammates or some of the other athletes that they're training with. So um, incorporating social distancing among 
teams and groups of athletes, particularly if athletes are presenting with with signs and symptoms, should be should be encouraged. I think athletes are a little bit better now at not sharing water bottles and, and things like that. You know, they're in locker rooms together and, and people are, are very bunched up and close together. Um, I mean, I was in I was in the military before. I've 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 um, I've been involved in, in many types of athletic events, and yeah, people would just throw water bottles at each other, and they would share them and everything else. So, so that that is a way by which infection can spread quite quite easily. So, I think being more conscientious about about these things would be would be very important. Um, and then we also spoke about some of the factors that could potentially dysregulate immune system and, and leave athletes more susceptible to infection. Now, even though there might not be any solid scientific evidence to show that this is the case, uh, I think most of us would agree that getting better nutrition, better sleep, trying to minimize stress, these things are all likely to be beneficial. They're definitely not going to be harmful. Um, So if we feel that these things are going to uh, protect the immune system and, and reduce the risk of illness, then these are good practices that we should be trying to incorporate when we're when we're working with athletes. Absolutely. Yeah. And then that just brings us back, of course, to the, you know, the sort of the holistic integrative approach. Um, just, you know, reference Neil Walsh's podcast on that, obviously, uh, for, for more detail. Um, but for us as practitioners, you know, often we're dealing with a very complex, crazy environment where it's not just about our thing, i.e. nutrition, you know, uh, or the S&C coaches, you know, it's the training or the you know the, the the other coaches where it's about skill or practice you know um there's a lot that goes on for athletes um and it's easy for us to overcomplicate their lives by getting them to do things they don't really need to do you know nutrition's a classic for that you know we we, we go oh you know this supplement can help support the immune system in this scenario the thing is is although the evidence technically does suggest that in reality it's extremely minor benefit and um is highly dependent you know contextual uh, uh considerations are extremely important these all obviously make life a bit more a bit more complicated so from that perspective um we we're gonna have a hierarchy of a relevance so to speak um from your perspective yes we've got things like sharing of bottles and um you know the reasons why we now know social distancing people coughing sneezing over each other on their hands and shaking hands and and so on but when we're talking about some of the more basic things um like exercise training volume exercise type nutrition protocols and supplements even do you feel there's a certain priority yes they all play a role but is are some angles of that more influential than others so that we have a better understanding of where we fit in this in terms of these things we're trying to you know add to our our busy athletes lives yeah so with with, with nutritional supplements i mean it's not it's never been an area of research my, myself but um but there's there's a ton of exercise immunologists who have been interested in how carbohydrate can affect immune responses to exercise how uh, bovine colostrum can affect um immune responses to exercise. People have looked at all sorts of different antioxidants, um, you know, protein supplementation. I mean, there is, a, there is a lot of information out there. But although they're delivering an intervention, for me, they're really just descriptive. It's like, okay, you might find that it changes this, this immune marker that responds to exercise, but how do you know you're actually changing it in a positive or a negative way? 
you know, I don't think anyone's really, really been able to say that, yeah, these changes that are happening are, are beneficial. I don't, I don't think, I don't think we know that. Um, when it comes to these applied interventions, you know, particularly with supplements, um, the way I look at it is if there's no detrimental effect to the athlete, even though we might not have some robust scientific evidence to show that it's beneficial, if we can safely say that it's not detrimental, then just give it to them. You know, so if they, if they want to take, you know, whatever supplement it might be, it might have another beneficial effect related to the performance that might not necessarily be related to immunity. But as long as it's not negative, um, then then give it to them because because you never know. And and that's the and some scientists have a hard time with that because it's like you need to know the answers before you go and deliver these interventions. But um to, to withhold a potential benefit just because you don't know if it works, if it's not going to cause any harm, uh, is a little bit negligent from my point of view. And you know, and I have been in the applying setting before, so I I would recommend just 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 delivering it. Uh, it might not do what you claim it's going to do, but if it's not going to be harmful, then then what's the what's the harm? No, I'm with you. I'm uh, I'm with you as a practitioner for many years. I know. You know, we've got the reverse, taking things away from people that they believe was important or they like it. Who cares? I just enjoy it. Like I, I happen to, you know, I know many athletes who, for them, getting through their training, the reward of their chocolate or whatever protein shake, you know, who cares if it's a few extra calories or whatever. And, you know, there are other, other ways they can control their energy balance, you know. These things are important in the applied setting. And I, and I think that that's always got to be a factor when we take the science and put it into practice. And you make a good point. And I have explored some of that, actually. Like even we've talked about the placebo and nocebo effect um, and so on and so forth. Obviously, we need to take a first do no harm approach. It mustn't be something that's going to... Um, involve uh doping or uh, banned substances you know so on and so forth but yes i think you're right i think that there are certain things that uh, we need to be mindful that um personal choice preference it might work these are these are all decision making things aren't they and this brings me back to one, one of my favorite sort of phrases is um you know you can but should you you know, it's right, a cost right. benefit thing, right. but it's all that critical thinking, applying it in the real world setting. You can, but should you? And that's why I like doing these podcasts, talking to guys like you, you know, because it, it adds to our knowledge so that we have those critical thinking tools. Because if we don't, if we don't understand the strengths and limitations of the tools, knowledge, gadgets, devices, supplements, it's very difficult for us to make those decisions. And, um, in some ways it's easier being a scientist because you make it much more black and white and you control all your variables and so on. But that's very different in the applied setting, of course. So Ricky, thank you. Um, we managed to get through this. I've, uh, I've got a little bit of editing to do here, but I think we'll, we'll make it work. Um, just to summarize then, um, which you kind of already done uh, to a certain extent at various points of this, but just, just a quick sort of tweetable summary about, um, you know, exercise um, affecting the immune system and its, you know, ability to, to increase susceptibility uh, to infection and, uh, and then finally where you think the next, the next step should be, you know, where, where do we need to be going on this topic? Yeah, good point. So I think um, 
you know, given the climate that we're in currently, you know, with the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, what, what I have recommended when people have asked me about, uh, you know, can arduous exercise increase infection susceptibility? And, and there is still some evidence that it can. Okay, it's being challenged at the moment and it's clearly a, a hot debate topic right now. But I think at this moment in time, there are no competitions that are coming up, you know, so athletes don't have to be engaging in high volume arduous exercise. I think now is probably the time where they should be focusing on on maintenance or even just dialing it down a little bit because um because yeah they, they could potentially increase the risk of infection because of everything that's 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 that's, that's going on. Um, I think moving forward what we really need to to understand is first of all are athletes more susceptible to infection than than the general population? And if they are what is it about the athlete lifestyle that's that's causing that? So is it just the exercise? Is it just because they do far too much exercise and that's what we need to try and uh, mitigate? You know, we can't ask athletes to do less exercise. That's not going to happen. But if it is the exercise that's having the negative effect, by which pathways is it affecting? And then how can we intervene via nutritional interventions or, or stress management interventions or, or whatever? Um, and then we do have to use more uh more sophisticated techniques i think to get to get into these questions so i think the self-reported upper respiratory symptom questionnaires have been great you know they 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 had a time and place for for our field but i think we really need to use things that are more sophisticated so are we interested in reactivation of viruses then we need to be collecting samples from athletes we need to be looking to see if these viruses are are indeed reactivating because if they are it would definitely indicate that the immune system is is compromised to 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 such a level and then are they more at risk of uh, contracting community and viruses so so not not necessarily viruses they're already infected with but the influenza a coronavirus a rhinovirus you know are these are these things going to going to cause problems for them when they're when they're engaging in high volume training but ultimately as practitioners we want to prevent it so so that that, that would be the important thing understanding what is causing the effect and then designing interventions to mitigate it. Brilliant. Well, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep following your journey. And, um, you know, I, 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 I'm, I think this is fascinating because it is literally of interest to everyone one way or the other. <laughs> um, no more, no more, no more so than, uh, than now, I guess. But, um, but, but, but anyway, I've not, we've definitely benefited from listening to what you've got to say on, on this topic and, um, and helping to clarify some some of those areas so that is much appreciated um i will um add the paper and also your article that you mentioned the acsm article that you wrote to the notes on this on this podcast um but if if people want to follow you uh you know uh do you do much social media are you uh, research gate what's what you know if people want to track you you know i don't i don't ricky <laughs> I don't. I don't do social media. I'm the uh, stereotypical grumpy Scotsman. You know, I don't like to be. Uh, I don't. I don't like to be on social media too much. But I, I do have a LinkedIn profile. So um, okay. uh, that's that's my main my main method for communicating. Um, uh, and then of course, uh, you know, people can look up my email address at the uh, at the University of Arizona website. So I'd, I'll be quite easy to track that. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll take care of that. And on my when I post about the podcast and and so on. Um, well, thank you. I've really enjoyed this this chat. Likewise, with you. I've, likewise. I've definitely benefited uh, uh, from it. And um, folks who want to listen to um, the related podcast, like the one with Professor Neil Walsh and uh, Mike M- Mike Gleason and David Pine and um, uh, 
Uh, I mean, there's loads of them uh, that you've co-authored with uh, one way or the other, um, which is great. Um, they're all there, so I'll, I'll link to those as well, um, as well as our other outputs at the Institute Performance Nutrition. Um, some videos that uh, we've been doing, some of which are relating to this topic, uh, our science practice overviews, and of course our um, online training and development program for advanced performance nutritionists on our uh, diploma program. Uh, folks might be interested in that. I, of course, am Laurent Banner. I look forward to bringing another episode of We Do, we Do Science back to you very soon. Take care, everyone.